Hello and welcome all to a very exciting episode of your favorite Star Wars novel podcast and mine, Thronderdome. Yes, this is the show where uh, every episode we read and recap and review a section from, uh, well, so far we've been covering, of course, Timothy Zahn's masterful Thrawn trilogy, the original sequel trilogy. Uh, to continue the Star Wars saga after the end of Return of the Jedi. First published from 1991 to 1993, and by that master of American letters that we all know and love, Timothy Zahn. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Dottie, joined as always by my intrepid co-host, the disgraced, defrocked Reverend Ronnie Gardaki. Ronnie, how, how are you feeling tonight? Well, first of all, I want to pump the brakes on the whole excitement exciting uh adjective that you that you're using uh, <laughs> i because i think you're just setting up the the listeners for disappointment i think i'm setting up the listeners for the phenomenal experience of things that are consequential happening which as you know we don't get that in every episode of thronderdome <laughs> timothy is not that kind of author he's not that kind of writer um, it would be great if uh, if Timothy Zahn was the kind of writer like R.L. Stein, where every single chapter ended on a, a, a ludicrous cliffhanger that is d- immediately deflated by the beginning of the next chapter. <laughs> you know, I think it's incredible that R.L. Stein has the exact same uh, kind of hobby horses that he leans on as a writer as mega best-selling author James Patterson. Because that's what those, I don't know if you've ever actually like flipped in through a James Patterson book, but um, they all have chapters that are like three pages long, and every chapter ends with something like, and then he heard the last thing he ever wanted to hear. And like, it's how, just, how many, how many it's James amazing. Patterson novels are about ventriloquist dummies? Probably at least one, because he has written a lot of, well, he is credited, I should say, with a lot of books. But uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe when we go, maybe when we do Patterson Dome, we'll cover it and see which one has a ventriloquist. I mean, I guess Law, Law of Averages uh, states that eventually he's going to have to write a ventriloquist dummy book. Exactly. It's it's going to have to come up, you know, and maybe one of his Ladies Murder Club uh, novels, or uh, perhaps Alex Cross will uh, will will have to defeat a ventriloquism-themed serial killer. I think it's really cool that the likes of James Patterson have, like, destroyed the idea of an author to just... To just a brand. <laughs> it's contributed so much more to the death of the author than a thousand French theorists ever could. <laughs> like, yeah, William Faulkner's great and all, but uh, did, he, did he have, like, a fucking book series about... Uh, Bored housewife solving mysteries? No, then fuck him. <laughs> so Nathaniel Hawthorne, he's he's well regarded and well remembered uh, as a pivotal figure in the 19th century American novel. But did he ever have a YA oriented ripoff of Diary of a Wimpy Kid? I don't think so. But anyway, we're not here to talk about James Patterson. We we are here to talk about we're not talk- uh, we're, um, we're here to talk about a different <laughs> brand of uh, sort of books. <laughs> We're here to talk about a different book-like product uh, because we are, but we are closing in. This is the second to last episode of season three. We are almost done with the last command, the last book in the trilogy. I, I don't know. I have butterflies, Ronnie. I, I'm, I'm getting all, 
I don't know, agitated about it. We've almost completed the first sort of major task we set out for ourselves on this one. And uh, without further ado, well, let's get going with chapter 25. Han, Solo, and uh, Chewie plug a couple of stormtroopers, pow, pow, as they make their way deeper into Mount Tantus and then face a massive metal door. Uh, No big deal for anyone with a lightsaber, so Luke Skywalker walks on up, slices into the door, cutting through its internal release mechanism, so the, the door shoots up. Revealing a squad of stormtroopers taken by surprise. Han and Luke made short work of them. And then I'm just going to read this uh, passage real quick. I got to say, I gotta say imp- that I'm impressed that Zahn really like sidesteps and obscures the fact that our heroes are killing like dozens of people. Well, here it is. So that was, I noticed that too. Here it is. The group of Imperials manning their sensor consoles weren't expecting company either. They were fumbling for sidearms and scrambling for cover as Han and Chewbacca took them out. A dozen shots after that, the room a dozen shots after that, the room had been reduced to a smoldering collection of junk. That ought to do it, Han decided. Better get lost before the reinforcements get here. Uh, then they make their way back down three levels to where the rest of the squad is, saying that that should convince the Imperials that there's a major aerial attack on the way. So so let's let's just be clear here. Han Solo and Luke Skywalker massacred a room full of people to create a distraction while there's already a battle going on at Mount Tantus as a distraction. <laughs> so they just straight up just murdered a whole room full of people. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of the dissonance I have when I'm playing uh I I started playing uh uh Batman Arkham Knight, because uh, it came out on the Switch last week. I started playing yeah. that again, and the dissonance is, of course, Batman has a stated no-kill policy, but uh, Arkham Knight's known for the, the one with the Batmobile in it, and I am just, like, so much collateral damage. I'm running people over all over the place. It's absurd. <laughs> <laughs> So so like you'll but get yeah, to you'll get to like cutscenes where Batman's like I don't kill and it's like I just ran over like eight people on the way to this cutscene. <laughs> it's it it do be like that. Um <laughs> So R2 is in this room interfacing with a quote archaic looking control board, and Lando surmises that the Emperor just picked up a cloning complex and dropped it straight into Mount Tantus, complete with the vintage computer works. And this was an interesting... Oh, so the upshot is he doesn't know enough about this old programming to do any damage, so they'll have to use the explosives Han had lugged the whole way uh, after all. And this is one where I don't understand... I don't understand the relationship technology has to Star Wars. Because... Okay, so it's archaic-looking control board because it's in the cloning complex, which is from The Clone Wars, Right. So that means it's within, like, living memory. Uh, you know, Ben Kenobi was there in the Clone Wars. Uh, but, like, it's it's old enough to have, like, be noticeable that it's older and different from the computers we have nowadays. But there have been, like, spaceships and computers for thousands of years in Star Wars. Well, we have to understand the context of Star Wars, the, the actual property. The, the Star Wars, the actual property, when we're talking about computers and stuff, we're talking about the 70s. So, mm-hmm. archaic computers in this instance would be like, I don't know, the 50s, right? <laughs> right, yeah, sure. 
That's that's a really good point. Yeah, so it'd be like ENIAC, some clacking thing, uh, ticking away, making your clones. Um, but I guess, I, I guess you're right. Like, in Timothy Zahn is, of course, writing in the late 80s and early 90s. That was a time when there was a lot of, not only was there a lot of change in computer hardware, but there was, of course, the proliferation of computers within people's homes on a much wider scale than uh, there ever had been before. So that you did have a lot of like turnover and the way stuff looked and new formats. You know, we we had to we were just we were perfectly happy with uh, five and a quarter inch floppies, and then they dropped you know three and a half inch floppies on us. But uh, this is an aside, I, I, but sort of relevant to our conversation. A friend of mine was uh, telling me uh, today that uh, something he finds funny about the movie Alien is that you know it's set in the future, yet uh, nudie mags still exist. <laughs> well it's kind of like how vinyl made a big comeback you know like uh so so you're thinking that you're, so you're thinking <laughs> like like uh like in 2040 like hipsters will be just like trading playboys yeah they'll be trading old playboys and then there'll be uh hipster porno that they they like press you know new you can get it as a zine or something at the uh at the punk rock flea market. Now I'm sure. Li- um, now I'm sure listeners are wondering, uh, what is the status? Because I'm I'm the resident, uh, uh, I'm the resident guy who uh, who who keeps track of what uh, slurs Timothy Zahn almost says about C3PO. What he's got to say about C3PO in this uh, this chapter, and uh, we we've got we've got Zahn like getting really close to just saying the word, you know? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. we, we have the phrase, 3PO hovered off to the side like a nervous mother bird, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is in response to R2-D2 plugging into a computer socket. And it's like, at a certain point, it's like, just say it, Tim. It was It was 1993. You wouldn't have gotten in that much of trouble, okay? Exactly. Especially not with, with science fiction nerds, you know? A, a famously reactionary and terrible bunch. They would have been right there. Oh, really? Them. Word? They're, they're reactionary and, and, and awful? <laughs> yeah, I, it turns out. That, that's the first I'm hearing of <laughs> this. This. Is, this, is, this is all new to me. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I, I thought but they anyway, were beacons I, of I, tolerance. I do... I do... <laughs> I uh, I just find it odd that you have a setting where computer technology has been around for literally thousands of years, but the span of a few decades will have enough change to it that you'll say, like, ooh, that looks old. I don't know. It just doesn't... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess archaeologists can do that with different types of pottery, you know, so maybe this isn't so weird. Just seems odd. Um, Han asks where Mara is, and Lando nods toward a door to the main room. And we get, I'm going to give Zong credit, we get some honest-to-God cool science fiction imagery. It's not groundbreaking stuff, but I liked it, and here we go. I'm going to read a little passage. A muted hum of machinery and voices was coming from somewhere, punctuated by the faint clicks of relays and a strange rhythmic pulsing or whooshing sound, like the whole cavern was breathing. This the place? Han says. It's the place, Mara confirmed. Han looks out over uh, the railing of the walkway they're on to see that the cavern was enormous. 
ten stories deep from their walkway, a series of circular terraces around the center like a sports stadium, or, in my, in my mind, Dante's Circles of Hell. Pipes everywhere. Large arterial pipes from the ceiling feeding smaller pipes around the circles, which in turn feed smaller lines, which terminate into neatly arranged metal circles that filled the balconies. Uh, quote, thousands of little circles, each one the top cover plate of a Sparty cloning cylinder, end quote. And I, I liked the the picture that that painted for us. I, I'm giving Zong credit. That was a neat kind of spooky image that he managed to conjure. So good for you, Timothy. Just think of all the other times you could have done something like that. I think Zahn was, re- was really hoping that the people at, at Lucas were going to make Mount uh, Tantus into a playset. <laughs> I mean, it has everything. You know, it has uh, cloning cylinders, uh, duct work. crazy guy throne room, duct work. We love duct work. Um, Han asks Mara if uh, Han asks if Mara knows anything in particular that can help with their demolition of the place. Mara doesn't have specific knowledge, but she has a hunch that this is exactly the kind of thing the Emperor would have rigged with a self-destruct mechanism to keep it out of anyone else's hands. If so, then that control will be in the throne room. Mara volunteers to go up and check, and Luke invites himself along. A service droid turbo lift accessible from the walkway will take them right up. So Amara and Luke head out for that. Meanwhile, Chewie and Lando get to work setting the demolition charges in case they can't find the self-destruct. Uh, and Han sets the Nogri to work securing the doors into the cloning cavern. A few minutes later, 3PO calls and hollers and shouts from the room where R2 is interfacing with the computer system. An exasperated Han explains, runs to them and explains that instead of shouting loudly in a facility full of people who want to kill them, he could have just used the comm link. But discovers that the comm link is being jammed anyway. But anyway, it's urgent. R2 has just learned that Joruus Kabaoth is being held prisoner in the Imperial Throne Room. Luke and Mara are headed straight into bullshit, him. Like, you know, John Ritter having, <laughs> having two dates at the same time. It is a bit contrived, um, but I think it was arrived at fairly fluidly with like, you know, Joruus Kabaoth wants to take his position as like, the, replacing the Emperor, so he goes and sets up in the Emperor's throne room, and Thrawn just says, ah, just lock him in there. I mean, I, I think it came out of more or less honestly. Um, but with the comm scrambled, there's only one way to warn them. He's got to run and try to catch up with them. And he has the line, one way or another, no matter where they were or what they were doing, somehow he, Han Solo, always wound up chasing off after Luke. And I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> like, There's another something something that twigged me as odd is is uh, in this uh, earlier in the passage, Luke is referred to as a lad, which I yeah. I can buy that at like during the first Star Wars, but this is like six years later. It's a bit late to be calling him a lad. Like, well, it's like it's like, like he's your fucking he's after... your fucking brother-in-law, dude. <laughs> Right. It's like five years after uh, Return of the Jedi, which was already at least a couple, three years after uh, A New Hope. So you're talking about a guy who's at least like 27, 28 by this point. I mean, yeah. I mean, Um, I guess guess he deserves to be infantilized because he's an idiot, but, you know. (laughs) He is a moron, but he's a grown moron. Um, I was just trying to think of like what are some instances where Han ended up chasing off after Luke. There's the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. 
where he goes and finds him out in the snow. But, I mean, other than that, like, he wasn't chasing after him later in Empire Strikes Back. It was Luke chasing after Han to rescue him in Return of the Jedi, and then they're on totally separate missions after that. Uh, I yeah, got I just, it, dude. It just unreliable a... narrator. <laughs> Han Solo's misconstruing the... things. He's wrong. <laughs> He's... Brilliant... <laughs> Brilliant, uh, brilliant use of the unreliable narrator by Zahn. Uh, once again, Zahn has written circles around me, and I can only stand agape at his in- immense skill. But we, uh, we go now to the Etherway, uh, running in secret as Garrett's Gold, uh, finishing up his delivery to the Imperial Shipyards at Bilbringi, right on schedule. So the smugglers, you know, they're all... And there's Samuel Tomas Gillespie remarks to Aves that it looks like all the other smuggler fleets have arrived for the big hit, where they're going to steal that crystal grav trap array to sell over to the Republic. But just then, Fog barks from the comm console. F-A-U-G-H-N. Daniel, Fog is it, it reductive com- that, that in my notes I just wrote this entire segment as the dumb name segment? <laughs> there's a lot of dumb names, it's true. Fawn barks from the comm console, Star Destroyers! And not just Star Destroyers, dozens of Imperial ships are dropping out of hyperspace. Dreadnoughts, Lancer frigates, strike cruisers. You know them, you love them. And I can barely picture ship... any of them in my head. <laughs> practically every I, I get ship... I get TIE fighters, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember Dreadnoughts. Uh, one, one time someone described them to Luke as having half a clam for their front. They're ship-like creatures. <laughs> They're ship-like creatures. But practically every sh- fighting ship in Cards Coalition of Smugglers is gathered right here for the hammer drop. Mazik crackles in on encrypted comms, declaring that they've been sold out, but he's going to go down fighting. Aves talks everyone down when he notices that the fleet is not positioned to attack ships already in the system. It's positioned to interdict and trap ships heading in. Gillespie works out that the Republic must be hitting Bilbringi and not Tangreen, as they were all so sure of, and that Thrawn saw through them. I Magic swear to God, if I ever fleet, read Tangreen or Bilbringi again, I'm going to shoot myself. I, I <laughs> well, can't, I'm I can't anymore. Can you make it one more episode, Ronnie? Can you make it one more episode and we finish this book? I probably, but. Then I'm just going to find out that, like, the next book we read is going to be set primarily in Bill Bringy or or, or, or (laughs) Jim Jam or whatever fucking nonsense planet. We're going to get the origin story of Fash. It's going to be terrific. Um, (laughs) But uh, Magic tells the smuggler fleet just to stick to their cover plan for now, act normal, and a Republic attack would be a useful draw of Imperial attention. If they need to scram. And now we uh, go back to Luke and Mara, who are making their way to the turbo lift up to the throne room. They work together to kill a couple stormtrooper guards, and then Mara lockpicks the lift car. A few seconds later, they step out into the Emperor's throne room, and Mara is flooded with memories. Uh, Quote, sidelights and brooding darkness, end quote. View screens on the wall either side of the throne, dark with disuse now. And we do get another bit of cool science fiction imagery. So I have another passage to read for everybody. She turned to her left, gazing over the railing of the walkway into the huge open space that faced the throne. Floating there was the galaxy. 
Not the standard galaxy hologram any school or shipping business might own. Not even the more precise versions that could be found only in the war rooms of select military headquarters. This hologram was sculpted in exquisite and absolutely unique detail, with a single accurately positioned spot of light for each of the galaxy's hundred billion stars. Political regions were delineated by subtle encirclements of color. The core systems, the outer rim territories, wild space, the unknown regions. From his throne, the emperor could manipulate the image, highlighting a chosen sector, locating a single system, or tracking a military campaign. It was as much a work of art as it was a tool. Grand Admiral Thrawn would love it. Remember him? The the Remember. The, the fucking guy that the trilogy's about nominally? Remember him? Sort of. Uh, but yeah, but I, I did appreciate that we we did get an actual sense of place with this, which which is good because we're going to be spending a lot of the rest of the episode in this room. And, um, and I want to counter you with something in this segment that I found hilarious, which is the sense, the muted side lights and brooding darkness the Emperor had found so conducive to meditation and thought. And that just makes yes. me picture like a fucking... 15-year-old with a Marilyn Manson poster on his wall. <laughs> yes. And speaking of that teenager... Just black lights everywhere. Um, <laughs> after taking it all in, Mara and Luke head for the throne itself, which is on a raised dais up a little staircase uh, to check where the control would be. As they reach the top of the steps, the throne begins to turn. So at last... You have come to me, Jorus Kabeoth said gravely. I knew you would. Together we will teach the galaxy what it means to serve the Jedi. End of chapter 25. <laughs> I like how I like how Zahn gives himself an out in terms of uh, Kabeoth not having a long-term plan. He doesn't have to write a long-term plan for Kabeoth because Kabeoth's just insane. So it's like... So it's like, step one, enslave uh, Luke and Leia and the babies. Step two, question mark, question mark, question mark. Step three, profit. Yeah, they... Well, he is crazy, so, like, he has a plan in sort of the vague sense that he has, like, a vision of the future he's going to make happen. But yeah, I, I, I concur that... Uh, you know, Timothy gave himself a little break. After concocting all of the brilliant schemes and gambits of Thrawn... You know, you can't expect him to have that much gas left in the tank for the for the crazy old clone. Yeah, um, yeah, we we've basically substituted like the Sherlock Holmesian brilliance of of Grand Admiral Thrawn with a guy who probably uh, is like Al Capone in his in his uh, twilight years, like going fishing in an empty swimming pool. <laughs> Because his mind is derived from uh, Clone Madness, a.k.a. Syphilis. Yes, yes. Um, but now we, we open Chapter 26, which picks up exactly where Chapter 25 left off in, a, in an R.L. Steinian cliffhanger. Jorus rubs it in a little more that he knew they were coming, had always known. That's why he arranged for the attack on Mount Tantus for this very night. We get a couple pages of back and forth, with Kabeoth calling Luke my young apprentice a few times on one page. Remember when the Emperor said that, Ronnie? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Joris Kabeoth is just a, a shallow retread of the Emperor, only he's an insane man in a dirty bathrobe. Yeah, and it's kind of weird to make him start talking like that 
like just now. Like he's never said that before. Even when Luke was hanging out with him on Joe Mark, like it, it's a little shoehorned in, if you ask me. It's almost as if uh, Timothy Zahn's endgame for this book was: What if the Emperor thought the government was uh, sending him transmissions through his fillings? <laughs> yes. So Mara has uh, Kabayoth at Blaster Point because remember. They're all in the within the uh, range of effect of the Asalamiri. So, you know, no one has any Jedi powers. So Mara, packing heat, is able to, you know, have a, have a bead on uh, Kabayoth here. As she goes to the throne to examine the armrest uh, control board, Luke offers to help Kabayoth, saying he is not well. Kabayoth takes great umbrage at this, accusing Luke of blasphemy to say such things about a Jedi master. But that's just it, Luke said gently. You're not the Jedi Master Kabayoth. Not the original one, anyway. The proof is there in the Katana's records. Joris Kabayoth died a long time ago, during the Outbound Flight Project. And, like... This is yet another thing that I thought people already knew. (laughs) Well, yeah, they kept talking about how Joris Kabayoth died on Outbound Flight. I guess they didn't have, like confirmation of it that's that he never came back from it but also did no one this was never mentioned in dark force rising that luke was like ah here on the katana's records it says george kabayoth died so who is this guy like this is just dropped in right there like there is no also (laughs) you would think the tactical genius that he is thrawn would like throw you're just a damn clone at uh, kabayoth when he like tried to get smart at him yeah, well, I guess maybe he he wanted to keep him in some sort of more or less mentally healthy state. For, what mentally healthy month. state? I, He's I, insane. I don't know. I don't know. It's well, stupid. Yeah, you can you can you can manage somebody who's in a state. You know, have you ever have you ever had? You know, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with like you know a a, a uh, someone you're close to or a loved one who's experiencing any kind of like you know neurological. You know things happening, but you kind of you can massage what you say <laughs> to uh, to kind of smooth your interactions. Um, no, Joris, Grandma anyway. died years ago. <laughs> but anyway, Kabayoth does not take this well. No, that can't be. Kabayoth then takes a long breath and throws his head back in a cackle. Kabayoth shakes his head at all these fools like Thrawn and now Luke going on and on about clone this and clone that. I, I do like he, Luke having the line, there's no other explanation. As though, this is fucking <laughs> Star Wars. There are tons of explanations for why somebody who seemingly died on the outbound flight project may have been brought back. Yeah. It's it's Star Wars. It's, uh... It's covered over in space magic. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no, yeah, there's no, there, there's no proving anything in this kind of setting. You know what would have been really uh, funny is if, like, uh, like, Luke used his Jedi power to, like, uh, mind link with the ghost, the force ghost of the real Joris Kabayoth, and, like, we had a clone to ghost uh, face off. That would be cool. Hey, there's still time for that, though. Because you, like, you and I, you and I both know that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I don't know. We have two chapters left, and when we, well, spoiler alert, when we leave off this section, uh, Kabayoth is still alive. Um, but uh, but Kabayoth explains that he finally did it 
With General Covell, he had taken a mind, broken it down, and rebuilt it to his own liking. And that's exactly what he's going to do with the army of clones beneath them. Luke comprehends what he's saying. All of these clones are not just physically, but also mentally identical. So knowing how to break any one means knowing how to break all of them. And again, I, I, I don't know how useful that is if you have to do it one by one. but I still anyway. don't know how cloning works. They go in the cylinders. What's what's to what's to not understand? But, but who are they cloning? Like, is it just some dude? Is it Chris some, Peterson? Some, some guys. It's Chris Peterson's. Yeah, I think. Well, I think Thrawn had a line like talking about like, or somebody had a line talking about like cloning like their sharpest Tie Fighter pilots and stuff like that. So they're just finding the the Chris Petersons out there and, and making you know a, a dozen of them at a time. Um. But uh, Mara says that there is no self-destruct mechanism evident on the throne, so they need to get out of here. Kabayoth produces a small cylinder in his hand and declares that they do not have permission to leave. Uh, Mara kind of uh, mocks him a little bit, saying like, ooh, an activation device requires something to activate, stupid. And Kabayoth kind of darkly hints that his soldiers prepared something for him before they were sent out with weapons to arm the natives and set up the attack, and then clicks the button on the cylinder. All at once, Luke's mind is filled with a distant notion of alien agony, and then awareness floods into him. The Force is with him. And with Kabaoth. Kabaoth instantly wrenches Mara's blaster out of her hand with the Force, and casts lightning from his outstretched hand, catching Mara in the chest, knocking her backwards. Luke leaps in front of her to catch the rest of the lightning with his uh, lightsaber, uh, but Kabaoth is blasting again and again. Kabayoth lowers his hand, commanding Luke to leave Mara alone, that she has learned her lesson. I said, leave her alone. Her life is not in danger. Save your strength, rather, for the trial that awaits you. Luke turned to look. There, silhouetted against the shimmering galaxy hologram, stood a figure dressed in what looked like the same brown robe Kabayoth was wearing. A figure that seemed somehow familiar. (laughs) And uh, this figure is obscured for a few moments as Kabayoth... Explains that he has no choice. He must he must either face death and emerge at Kabayoth's side, or die so that another can take his place. And now here we have it. Quote, And then the figure stepped into the light, and too late Luke remembered how that dream battle in the dark side cave had ended. Vader's mask had shattered, and the face behind it had been Luke's own. As was the face that gazed emotionlessly up at him now. Yes, Jedi Skywalker, he is you. Luke Skywalker, with two U's, created from the hand you left behind in the Cloud City on Bespin, wielding the lightsaber you lost there. Okay, so wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So, Uh Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader cuts off Luke's hand. The way I recall it, the hand just, like, flies somewhere. Like, was there some cleaning crew that's like, no, wait, we need this deca- We need this hand. It might become useful sometime. <laughs> I guess so. Someone well, might, was, someone you know... might decide to, to start cloning stuff again. I mean, you might have, there might have been, like, a standing order, you know, from the Emperor. Like, oh, if Luke Skywalker drops anything, pick it up. I want it for my cloning vats or something. I don't know. 
like, but it does, like, them, it, like them retrieving the lightsaber that he lost in Empire Strikes Back. That I get, but the hand, like, come on. <laughs> so, so here, here we have it. We have Luke Skywalker, L U U K E. Um, this is one of those elements that I did vaguely remember from reading this as a kid. So I guess I must have read to the end of Last Command. I was starting to wonder if I hadn't because I did not remember much of anything about it, but I do remember this. Um, I knew about Luke uh, to the extent that it's, like, known as one of those... That's one of those really stupid things that's in the EU. But, like, like we'd gone so far into this trilogy, I thought it was going to be in, like, some other book, you know? So I was was pretty surprised when when, uh, Luke showed up. (laughs) <laughs> it was honestly it's like uh it's like a celebrity cameo you know we're 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 in the studio audience we're we're clapping and hollering when we see luke skywalker enter the stage and then he attacks he and luke enter into a desperate lightsaber duel as luke struggles against a bizarre buzzing in his mind that seems to be emanating from the clone that's that force interference that everyone was so uh concerned about um they they clash for a page or two, uh, and Luke realizes that he could probably turn tail and make it to the turbo lift, but he couldn't leave Mara like that. He resolves to stay with her until the end. We go now to Lando and Chewie. They are uh, rigging before, up their own Before explosives. we move on, I just want to uh, highlight something that yeah. I found funny. Uh, sure. He didn't know any more than he knew what Kabea's purpose was in throwing the two of them together. Obi-Wan and Master Yoda both warned him that Killing an anger or hatred would lead toward the dark side. Would killing a clone duplicate of himself do the same thing? And that just seems to be, be like Zahn, <laughs> Zahn like trying to do the, the PG version of broaching the if you have sex with your clone, is it sex or <laughs> masturbation? Um. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, just, I just found it really funny. It's like, like Luke just thinking to himself, gee, Obi-Wan and Yoda never... Never told me what to do if I was facing a clone duplicate of myself. Like, <laughs> One of the many if ways I kill him, is that him. suicide? Yeah. Um, I do like that he, he brings it up like, hey, they taught me if I kill in uh, in a state of fear or hatred, that will lead me to the dark side. And then it, and so then like, it further says, then it further says had, had Kabeas meant that killing his own clone would drive Luke insane. Which... Right, right. It's for, uh, he joins Kabeoth or something, yeah. I mean, that suggests to me it's like sort of like when you're on drugs and you experience ego death. <laughs> right. I just think it's a, it's a funny line because like, okay, the teaching that they gave you was about your emotional state when you do the killing. It's not about what's being killed. <laughs> like, it doesn't have any bearing whether it's a clone or not. It's just but, what but I do are, think what... it's I do think it's very much in character that like Luke would just have these dumb go nowhere questions. <laughs> <laughs> that no one prepared him for. And he's, he's filling his mind up with these stupid questions when he's being viciously attacked. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so so we, we we switch perspective to Lando and Chewie back in the uh, the clone cavern where they're rigging up some explosives when they hear something blow up, or rather, a lot of small, low-powered somethings like small blasting discs. Lando leans over to look into the cavern to see wisps of smoke rising from each cluster of Sparty cylinders as though one thing had been blown up in each of them. 
After a little chatter with 3PO about the comlink jammer being somewhere in this area, Lando and Chewie are beset by blue ripples being shot at them from below. Stun blasts! The thing that appeared once in the, the very beginning of Star Wars, the, the stun setting. Um, the Imperials can't risk shooting laser bolts into all that rare and precious equipment, so uh, Lando and Chewie kind of lucked out as their stun blasts plink harmlessly on the underside of the work platform. They have the high ground, and their enemies have an arm tie behind their back, so they can hold out. But the Imperials disengage to reposition. They're going to come up onto a different floor and be able to shoot down on them. Lando realizes that all the doors have been sealed, except the one back into the pump room where R2 was at the computer interface that they left open to be their escape route. Lando reluctantly blasts the control box, sealing the Imperials out, and Lando and Chewie in. Chewie has an idea to plug a negative flow coupler into a positive flow regulator, but Lando demurs that they're trying to destroy the clone facility, not bring the entire mountain down on top of them. Chewie grumbles, and Lando says they'll keep the idea in reserve. So note there, Chekhov's negative power flow coupler. Sure. Um, yeah, just keep that in mind. <laughs> it sounds Fine, whatever. <laughs> can well, you, can, can you tell I'm getting sick of this book? I just think it's funny that he can't call it electricity. He calls it a negative flow coupler and a positive flow regulator. Like, bro, you can have electricity. They're shooting lightning out of their hands. It exists in Star Wars. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we, we change perspective again to Wedge as he drops out of hyperspace in formation with Rogue Squadron into the Bill Bringy system. God damn it. But something is something is wrong in Bill Bringy. They dropped too far out. And just like that, the Imperial ambush is upon them. TIE interceptors inbound. The trap is sprung as the interdictor cruisers use their uh, their their light speed suppression fields da- Daniel, to trap. Daniel, guess what? Yes. What's up? Admiral Akbar has a line, and it's it appears to be a trap. <laughs> I completely missed that. He said the thing. He said the thing that <laughs> he, he said says. The thing. He said the thing. See, Zahn knew in 1990-whatever, in 1991, let's say, he's writing this when he's finishing it up, uh, as, as Air of the Empire is set to be published. He knew that in, you know, I guess 15 years hence, 10 or 15 years hence, that uh, idiot nerds were going to post that gif all over the damn internet. He knew. He was there at the ground floor. An astonishing mind. I think what happened was he realized that he wrote he wrote in a trap in his book, and then he's like, God damn it, I need to have Admiral Akbar acknowledge that it's a trap. That's his thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, for now, escape is impossible, and the only option is survival. Cut back to Han Solo. Uh, he's still make, trying to make his way to find uh, Luke and Mara to try to warn them in time, or at least be of some help to whatever they're going through. I gotta say, you this chapter shifts things... perspectives like six times, and it's almost yeah, disorienting. It's it's like, and, it, and it'll give like, it's clear that, you know, Zahn is most interested in the Kabeoff storyline, because he's given everybody else like a pair, like maybe a page, a couple paragraphs. Um <clears throat> Han Solo can hear that he's being followed as he tries to make his way to the throne room. Stealthy footsteps a mere ten meters away, and him pressed behind the only cover, a recessed wall in the hallway. He leaps out to blast him! And is it's lucky for him, 
he has to aim a little bit, which gives his wife time to say, Han, don't shoot! <laughs> because it's Leia! And Talon Card! And his freaking dogs! Man, like, imagine you accidentally shot your wife. You probably wouldn't... You'd probably... That'd be brought up, like, forever. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so like, like every time every time you're in an argument it'd be like well remember that time you shot me <laughs> like any kind of like i like grumble about being asked to take out the garbage and i was just like oh wait i'm sorry let me just hobble my gut shot self over and take out the garbage for you you know with my bullet wound <clears throat> oh man that marriage, would, that would, am that I right? Hear the end of it. This is exactly what marriage is like. Almost shooting your wife as she walks around with her friend and his dogs. Um, uh, Luke's in trouble. He's ahead somewhere. Whoa, sweetheart. It's okay. We knew the about the Asalamiri here going in. That's just it. They're not. The Force is back just before you jumped out of cover. Uh, then Han throws, I love this line, Han throws a look at Card. Who, and Card, it says like, he says this like dispassionately or like, you know, in an even tone. He says, I was hired to destroy the Emperor's storehouse. I brought Sturm and Drung along to help us find Mara. <laughs> like, literally just explaining himself really quick. Uh, this is, this is about the point where it starts to be like, you know, all of the characters are just in the same place in the narrative. Yeah, yeah. They're bringing, it's bringing them together. <clears throat> um, well, except for everyone at Bill Bringy. Yeah, but no one cares um, about that. The whole bunch... Yeah, the whole bunch head on together, with Han ruminating over his last encounter with a dark Jedi, when Darth Vader had had him tortured and frozen in carbonite. Quote, Remember Somehow, that? from what Luke had told him... Yeah, somehow, from what Luke had told him, he didn't expect Kabaoth to be, even be that civilized. End quote. Oh, Han. I mean, I guess, You're... I, I mean, he's correct that, like, a insane hobo Alzheimer suffering clone is less civilized than a uh, murder robot man. <laughs> but I mean, but even Apple... then, even then, like, Darth Vader's whole thing was, like, choking people to death when they pissed him off. Yeah, he's very savage. So, so that's the that's the joke there, haha. <laughs> you know, well, what a civilized guy. So, it's, so it's like a spectrum, of like you know, the resolute calmness of Thrawn, who only kills Chris Peterson, to <laughs> the the choking robot man, to mm-hmm. the insane clone, the 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 unhinged uh, medallion guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, now we have chapter 27 and our, our last chapter for today's uh, recapping. Um, and this, there was a very funny to me, I guess I'll kind of like lay it out. So, so Luke and Luke are fighting it out and Kabaoth is using this time to kind of work on Mara Jade. So we have these pages and pages of back and forth dialogue between Kabaoth and Mara Jade about like, you will kneel to me. And she's like, oh yeah, get, you know, get a life idiot. And He's reading her mind, and as she has sarcastic things to say, he, like, has responses. This goes on for pages and pages. But the whole time, Luke and Luke are fighting. So in my mind's eye, I just kind of, like, pictured them in the background getting into, like, increasingly Looney Tunesian action back in the background while Mara and Kabeoth have this conversation 
where they're like you know, spy versus spy shit, like dropping anvils on each other and let, jumping let, around. Let me tell you, the, flying the, across. the word guardrail is used so often in this chapter, I just had flashbacks to Space Mutiny. <laughs> yes! There aren't many railing deaths, but there are an awful lot of railing uh, kind of impairments, we'll call them. Yeah. Um, Mara tries to conjure a mental pattern that the Emperor had taught her to resist mind-reading by Jedis when he wanted to keep her order secret from even Darth Vader, but Kabayoth consents what she's doing immediately and sends her a direct jolt of pain. He goes on about how she can mock his vision all she wants, but she will kneel before him. Mara's mind discipline seems to be working a little, however, such that Kabayoth remarks that, well, he doesn't even need to hear her thoughts in order to read her heart. Mara turns away to look down over the guardrail to try and locate her blaster, all while Luke and Luke are hurling lightsabers, cutting down catwalks, and just making a mess of the place. Uh, Luke takes a spill but has the presence of mind to force-grab Luke's lightsaber after the clone had thrown it in order to cut the catwalk down, but it is then stopped in midair in its arc to Luke's hand. Not that way, Jedi Skywalker. This duel must be to the death. It must be weapon against weapon, mind against mind, soul against soul. Why? Luke thinks for his own twisted purposes. Uh, Luke thinks fast and throws his own lightsaber at Luke's, at Luke's, which is suspended in midair, to try to destroy it. But a small object is flung into Luke's shoulder as he winds up his throw, and so then his throw goes wide. Kabayoth then flings Luke's saber back to him. Sorry, Luke's saber back to him, which the clone raises. Uh, we have the line here, Wearily, Skywalker got to his feet and prepared to continue the battle. <laughs> I do like the idea of Luke being like, here we go again. Uh, but that's when Mara spots that the flung object that hit Luke had been her blaster. Kabeoth seemed to be in one of his episodes, staring off into space, so Mara thought that was her chance. But Kabeoth just says, she has come, just as I knew she would. That's when the turbo lift opens, and out come Leia Organa Solo with a blaster in one hand and her lightsaber in the other. And Talon Card! Everyone's always surprised, everyone's surprised to see Talon Card, so I'm, I'm really leaning on it. Uh, Luke urges Leia, Han, and Talon to go back, but Kabeoth joyfully shouts a welcome to Leia. My new apprentice! Han doesn't rest on ceremonies. He immediately squares up his blaster rifle to fire a bolt. The Kabayoth is too fast, though, lifts Mara's blaster to catch the bolt. And a second, and a third, which finally catches the uh, Mara's blaster's power pack, which explodes and destroys the weapon. Then Han's blaster is torn from his grip. Kabayoth lets loose a horrible shriek of rage and betrayal, sending waves of hatred and pain coursing out from him, staggering everyone. With the psychic assault, lightning again shoots from his outstretched hands, throwing Han into the guardrail in front of the galaxy hologram pit. Leia leaps to his side, igniting her lightsaber and catching the next bolts of lightning as Kabeoth shifts his aim to the catwalk above them. Lots of catwalks in this, too. Lots of catwalks, uh, lots of guardrails. I mean, it's your classic OSHA nightmare setup, for, for sure. Uh, the cracking of tortured metal, or perhaps Skywalker's training in the Force, tells Leia to slash upward to slice the falling metal in two, uh, so that instead of crushing them outright, it falls to either side of herself and Han, but it still catches her on the head and shoulders and knocks the lightsaber out from her hand. Luke cries out in anguish and unleashes a furious attack on Luke, 
who is driven back by the onslaught toward the throne dais where he leaps up to a guard platform flanking the throne. Luke stops halfway up the stairs, glaring at Kabaoth. Luke knows he has some leverage, for if Kabaoth crushes him like an insect, as he insists he can, then he would not have the chance to control Luke's mind. So, is Kabaoth open to a bargain? What do you want? Let them leave, Luke says. All of them. Now, Mara too. And if I do, let them go, and I'll stay. And we go now to Lando. Before we get to uh, Lando, I just want to comment on the yeah. the strange psychosexual nature of the whole Kabaoth Luke thing. Because, okay, first of all, Kabaoth has created a clone of Luke that he controls as a mindless puppet. And yes. now he's making a deal with Luke that Luke becomes his slave in, in exchange for the freedom of, you know, the rest of the characters. And... Uh, b- before we started recording, I I compared this to to another uh, eccentric gentleman, Jeffrey Dahmer, and how he would uh, he would pour <laughs> acid in the brains of uh, his his captives in order to create uh, sex zombies. And yes, that was his whole uh, deal. Yeah, and you know the timelines. Like I think Dahmer was was in the news around like ninety one. So maybe Zahn got the idea. It's like, what if what if I uh, what if I add a uh, add add some spice to my uh, deranged space wizard? I yeah, I think it definitely um, it definitely adds a certain um, puts a little mustard on it. I mean, <laughs> I, w- you, I, w- you, I would agree. You, the reader just kind of wants to know what Luke was doing before this scene, you know. Right, right. And it does bring up, like, what is exactly the point of Luke if if he is just an extension of Kabeos' mind? Like, he's just a kind of Why doesn't he just puppet. have clones of everything? Well, right, and it, it goes like, you know, and, and like Kabeos was setting this up as like, aha, whoever wins in this duel will become my apprentice. And it's like, well, yeah, if your clone wins, then you're just, you know, you're just back to jacking yourself off. You do, <laughs> Because there's no person there. You kind of, it kind of reminds me of the that. end of Logan, which is otherwise a great movie, but the end of Logan, like, uh, Wolverine has to fight, like, a clone of himself, and it's like, you get the sense, like, well, you just sort of ran out of ideas of who your antagonist could be. <laughs> like, what if we just have Hugh Jackman with a different haircut? Yeah, yeah. What if we have, <laughs> what if we have Mark Hamill with a different colored lightsaber? I, I think it would go a little something like this. Um, but anyway, we, we go down to Lando, uh, who now hears a dull thudding noise over the eerie breathing sound of the clone cavern. They're busting the doors down. It won't be much longer until explosives are brought up to hurry it up. But just as his comlink goes off, it's C-3PO. R2 has eliminated the jamming. And someone else chimes in. Talon Card! Everyone is surprised the... by Talon Card. <laughs> Everyone is so surprised to be talking to Talon Card. Like what? That guy? They're treating him like he's um, he's Norm Peterson in Cheers. Well, they're treating him like he's uh, uh, Crash Patton, or whatever his name was, Cracker Packin. That 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 guy who Wedge was impr- was impressed to meet a couple episodes ago. Pash oh yeah, Kraken. some stupid name. <laughs> Pash Kraken. Talon Card. Garbell Iblis. 
Um, <laughs> but so Talon is 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 uh, is is ducked down. He's keeping low during all the commotion in the throne room. And he appraises Lando of the situation. Lando resolves that they're just going to have to go with Chewie's resonance cascade plan to bring the whole thing down. But they'll have to figure out how to warn Han and the rest without tipping off Kabea. I love the way Card. I love the way Card describes what what's happening uh, to to Lando because he's saying that Jedi Master of Luke's George Kabayoth is up here too. He's taken out Solo and Organo Solo both, and as Skywalker fighting what looks to be a clone of himself. <laughs> it like, seems to be yes. I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> like a a identical twin, a a cousin? I I don't know. A, uh, a, a a guy who plays Luke Skywalker at parties? Mark Hamill I mean, before he got who, in the car accident? <laughs> who could say? Um, but meanwhile, back in the uh, back in the throne room, the whole place is silent in the pregnant pause as Kabayoth considers Luke's offer. He decides it's asking too much to let Mara go and declines. So the, the fight kind of kicks off again. Uh, Luke has caught his breath. And he comes uh, charging back down in a furious attack. Uh, Luke is uh, being driven backward and backward toward a, toward a blank rock wall. Mara is still trying to find some kind of opening. But Kabea seems to be in total control of uh, really everything. She spots Han's blaster and tries to go for it. But uh, Kabea kind of jerks it away at the last minute, kind of playing with her at this point. While you know Luke really hammers Luke and drives him closer and closer to the wall. Where he'll be, you know, well, he'll be cornered. Um, well, that's when, Mar- so uh, th- this is this this gets. All right, I'm just gonna get to kind of the 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 money shot with all this. Um, you know, Luke seems to have uh, everything. Uh, you know, Luke has 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 Luke where he wants him, cornered against the wall. But then Mara realizes he's not cornered against a rock wall, but those raw wall of view screens. So Luke takes a big Luke the clone takes a big haymaking swipe at uh, our Luke who ducks in just the right time for the lightsaber to smash into those view screens which explode out with shards of glass and electricity and stuff uh, momentarily stunning and blinding uh, Luke the clone and that's how Mark also, Hamill's face got fucked up and that's how Mark Hamill's face got fucked up uh, this this whole interval uh, also breaks Kabeos concentration slightly such that uh, Mara Jade is able to use the force to grab onto Leia's dropped lightsaber, and uh, well, you know, let me let me just read it here. Uh, Skywalker hadn't been backing into a wall after all; he'd been backing into one of the throne room's view screens. The clone shrieked, the first sound Mara could remember hearing him make. That's right; this entire time he has not said anything. As he staggered back. I thought it was going to be something fucked up like Kabaz had like cut his vocal cords or something. <laughs> right. He spun toward the sound of her lightsaber. His face twisted with anger and fear. His eyes still dazzled. He raised his lightsaber to attack. You will kill Luke Skywalker. She ducked beneath the slashing blade, gazing into his face, Skywalker's face, the face that had haunted her nightmares for nearly six years, the face the Emperor had ordered her to destroy. You will kill Luke Skywalker. And for the first time since she found Skywalker and his crippled X-Wing floating in deep space, she let herself give in to the voice swirling through her mind. 
With all her strength, she swung her lightsaber and cut him down. The clone crumpled, his lightsaber clattering to the floor beside him. Mara gazed down at him, and as she took a ragged breath, the voice in the back of her mind fell silent. It was done. She had fulfilled the Emperor's last command. And she was finally free. I think I I texted you something of uh, something to the extent of what the fuck is this shit? Yes, <laughs> your, your 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 first response was, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I, I was half so here, I was it, half expecting the fucking Palpatine voice to go, "Close enough." <laughs> it's like it's it's such a bullshit technicality. It's like the No Homers Club. We're allowed to have one. It's a very odd resolution for for this whole setup because it's like you could you could have you could have the entire story the way it all played out without the the emperor's command echoing in her brain right like she wouldn't need the emperor having implanted something in her for her to like hate and mistrust Luke Skywalker because he did destroy her life and here, in this instance, you wouldn't need her to have that command swirling around in her mind because, like, this is just what you would do during the fight. Like, in this situation, yeah, you take the lightsaber and you cut down the guy who's trying to kill your guy. Like, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like anything was actually different with the implanted order thing. Also, it's kind of fucked up that she fulfills yeah. the last command by... by- by murdering a brain dead clone of a guy, I mean that's that's like more tragic than uh, you know George killing bloody <laughs> at the end of a mice and men. I guess it's true. I feel very bad for Luke. He didn't even he have didn't any ask life. for I any of this. He didn't ask for any of this. He really didn't. I guess I'm just supposed to hate Kabaoth all the more. I'm getting pretty tired of his whole business. I'm glad there's only two chapters left. We'll see how they settle his hash. But, uh, yeah, so Luke Skywalker is introduced and killed within one chapter. He gets no lines of dialogue, <laughs> no interiority gets, whatsoever. Right, it's just, he's just there, and he gives Luke a run for his money in a lightsaber battle, and then Mara Jade kills him, and that helps her work through her issues. So, uh, um, uh, again, I gotta say, masterful setup. From, from Timothy's on. He's been teasing this for uh, for hundreds of pages. The payoff is so worth it. The uh, payoff is it. We, she, dumber than I could have ever imagined. It's dumber than we could have... When we ever would have hoped. Um, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. There's absolutely no way I would have predicted this. <laughs> that, I... There's no way I could have thought this would be the resolution to that plot line. You couldn't yeah, guess it yeah. in a million years. <laughs> well, this this is this is one of those times where uh, where Zahn legitimately zagged us. Yeah, you know, he got us. But boy, so, howdy! So does that a... mean that if if Luke had an identical twin brother, if if uh, Mara Jade killed him, it would count? No, I don't think so. Because I think what's working here, it's all about the Force, right? Like, the Emperor used the Force to implant the, well, the, yeah, like the, the, the psycholinguistic programming for her to kill Luke Skywalker. 
And then the force, that's the thing about clones is that the force gets all confused when there's a clone around. It doesn't know what's going on. So if you kill the clone, Man, the force you know says good would, enough. You know what would have been great is if Mara Jade intended to kill Luke, but accidentally killed the real Luke. So they're like, <laughs> like so they're like, they just sort of adopt uh, Luke as, as, <laughs> as the new Luke. And it's like, yeah. They didn't. They didn't even. Give, they didn't even give us a scene where like Luke, where like Luke is like Mara. No, I'm the real Luke. Don't listen to him. And Luke yeah, was like, Ugh. Ugh. yeah. Like I was sort when 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 like the idea of Luke was 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 broached. I sort of thought he was going to be like Bizarro Superman, but instead he's even less than that. He's even less than Bizarro Superman. He's basically it's like a, a he's basically like a, a CGI model of, of Mark Hamill that is in a now, meaningless this, fight scene. This does put me in mind of do you remember in Heir to the Empire when uh Luke traveled to Dagobah to see if he could like feel something <laughs> or or something? And like he spent a lot of time at the cave where he had that bad vision. And there was all there was like there were like multiple notes in the author notes of the 20th anniversary edition explaining all about the the tree and the cave and whatever. And we were kind of baffled as to why Timothy Zahn thought this was so important and pivotal of a scene. I think I put it together now. The fact that he brought that back up when Luke was introduced, that you know at the end of that dream he strikes down Darth Vader, but his his face under the helmet. I think that's where Timothy got the idea. I think that's where Timothy was like, "Ooh, I can make it. I can make it like the the movies were prefiguring my own story somehow by having Luke fight himself, literally himself, and it will be a vision of the future that you know. It's not. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Darth Vader is his father, which is how, of course, everyone would rightly interpret <laughs> that scene in the light of the text of the movie itself. But rather." That becomes important to Timothy because that was the germ of his idea. That's what I'm. That's what I think. I like that with any other character in in the book, like I'm talking any anyone from like Wedge Antilles to like Garm, like being forced to face and fight to the death your own perfect doppelganger would create some sort of psychological crisis. But with Luke, since he has no interiority because he's a dumbass, it's sort of like, uh, will I go insane if I kill him? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Better start hacking. <laughs> oh, Luke Skywalker. You're a great character. And Luke Skywalker, well, you were appreciated. And I I, I wish you had gotten better from Timothy's on and everyone. You know, <clears throat> at the very least, he needed like a final, he needed like a line of dialogue as he died, you know? Right, something. Instead, he just shrieks and then dies. He doesn't even have. He doesn't even have like you know. It, 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 I think it could have been creepy if he likes repeated lines that Luke has said before in his life, like in the movies or something. Or if he said hello. But decontextualized. Or if he said hello. <laughs> or or if he or if he said, uh, I just wanted to uh, see the sun before I died. Or if and he, he said bad bye instead of goodbye. You know. Or said bad bye. <laughs> What a woo! What a roller coaster! What an odd thing to have happened, 
And if you told me, hey, if you told me this morning that I would be reading these chapters and this would happen in these chapters, I would not have believed you. <laughs> Once again, I, I think we've we've shown we've we underestimated Timothy Zahn. We underestimated Timothy Zahn, man. Like you know, we you can't underestimate the guy. He keeps kicking our asses. So that does leave us though. Okay, we are we only have two chapters left. 28 and 29. Historically, the last couple of chapters in these novels have been pretty short. Um, yeah, I think in my PDF so we'll it, s- it is like uh, 13 pages, the last two chapters. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's hardly anything at all. So they're going to have to wrap up Thrawn's whole story. I'm sure it will and then, be and then incredibly have like... elegant and a fitting send-off <laughs> that won't, will be very that won't uh, compel us to... Uh, to espouse multiple expletives at directed at Mr. Zahn. Not not a bit. I, I, I have every confidence that uh much much like a gold medal uh Olympic gymnast, Zahn will dismount and stick the landing for a perfect ten. I mean this really does uh, feel like that, the, the that end that of the prediction. book. I mean like this feels like the, the climax which, of <laughs> You know the death of uh, of the simple clone, and the I guess yes. defeat of Joris Kabayov. It Well, yeah, yeah. So, I I expect my prediction is things get really stupid in chapters twenty eight and twenty nine. <laughs> we'll see. I'm I'm excited to see what how Kabayov meets his untimely end, because surely he's about to die. Um, or maybe he just gets sent to an old age home. <laughs> Do they have those in Star Wars? We'll have to. We'll, we'll have, have to watch. To, we'll see. have to watch the. We'll have to watch the original and, yeah. and see if there's any references. We'll see if there's any references homes. to old folks' homes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, well, with that, speaking of old folks uh, and young folks and everyone in between, what is the world's most profound human activity, Ronnie? What would you What would you say is uh, what makes us human? Is it tool use? Is it is it controlling fire? Is it uh, is it walking on two legs? You I, know? I, I was gonna I say would, I was gonna say scrimshaw. <laughs> is it scrimshaw? Uh, I would argue that to be truly human is to engage in discourse. Uh, that's right, everyone. Welcome to the most famous most uh, beloved segment on the podcast Thronderdome, our segment Into the Thronderdome, where Ronnie and I shall take uh, an element of this crazy little existence we have here on this planet and argue it to death in front of each other to prove whose mental dick is the biggest and the one which swings around the most. I'm sorry, that was a very crass image. Yeah, uh, Jesus Christ, I, Daniel. Jesus, <laughs> mind out of the gutter. I'm, well, I was just thinking about dick measuring contest because that's kind of what springs to mind whenever I think about discourse and debate. <clears throat> Sorry about that, everybody. No, we will be having a very chaste and uh, PG-13 at most uh, argument slash discussion slash, uh, gosh, we might even call it a dialectical, you know, dialectical struggling toward meaning, a summit of meaning that can be reached between two dialectically opposite thesis and antithesis. Uh, so what will be, what will be the, the grounds 
on which we stake our humanity with one another, Ronnie. What are we arguing about today? Now, sometimes we go with evergreen topics like, you know, what should uh, should we believe in cryptids or not? Uh, or should we believe in bottled water or not? But uh, this is a real hot topic. This is, uh, we're talking TikTok and uh, should it be banned? Because there are a lot of politicians across these United States of ours that suggest that it ought to be uh, banned, curtailed, or otherwise uh, highly regulated. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, you, yeah. you might argue well, that, that there is... are politicians that have nothing better to do with their time than to uh, pick a fight <laughs> with, a, not more with pressing... a form of social media that is primarily used by youngsters. But... But that that's for you to decide. <laughs> that's right, and for us to argue. Now, I am, of course, famously a uh, a curmudgeon. I am the older of the two of us. Uh, By at least like so fifteen I'm, years. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> I don't think it's that much. We have way too many like cultural touchstones in common for that to be true. Um. <laughs> but so I will take the anti side. I will take the side of the book burners and the banners. Uh, on this one. So, Ronnie, how about you start us off with a defense of TikTok? You know, tell, tell me tell me why shouldn't it be burned to the ground and its land salted? Well, first of all, uh, TikTok, as, for those of you who don't know, is a, uh, a, a social media service uh, that uh, pr- uh, prioritizes a short-form video, uh, kind of like, uh, kind of like, remember Vine? Remember Vine, folks? And, uh, and how that got shut down for some reason? Well, now it's now it's back, and it's called TikTok. And uh, and the 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 benefits of TikTok are are, are manifest, such as uh, the fact that because of the internet and because because everything is summarily getting getting worse as as time goes on, our attention spans are uh, are decreasing. So. We we need short form video because we can only really understand things if they're in like uh, forty five second chunks. Um, secondly, uh, TikTok is famously owned and operated by uh, the nefarious China, uh, <laughs> China, which is uh, the future of of Earth. Uh, well, with the, their burgeoning economic and political uh, power. Uh, the American Empire is on its way out. China is the future, so might as well uh, get on the uh, get on the China gravy train while the going's good. And uh, mm-hmm. and and in that vein, just as China is our future, so are the children. The children are our future, as as uh, I believe uh, Jimmy Carter said. Uh, and. Uh, you know what children love using TikTok. They aren't they aren't on Facebook. That's for that's for boomers like Daniel. <laughs> They're not on Instagram. That's for Gen Xers like uh, like Daniel's uh, Daniel's uh, secret son Boyra. <laughs> He's a Gen Xer. He's older than me. Well, you're a boomer, and he's oh. a Gen Xer. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> no, that makes sense. Okay, well, I'm I'm ready to fire back. I'm ready to fire back here on all this because Ronnie, you've done a good job of laying out exactly all the reasons why 
this uh, why this whole TikTok mess needs to be ruthlessly suppressed and crushed. Because you'll notice that you mentioned three of America's worst enemies. Young people, the Chinese, and women. All of whom really enjoy TikTok. They're making uh, great strides with it. They're talking to each other on it. They're giving each other information about international conflicts that are not, and I repeat, not uh, New York Times editor approved. This is not the way to go, everybody. You can't be you can't be getting your information willy nilly from you know, some uh, some some young. Uh, kind of LGBT coded person who's talking about mm, I don't know some various atrocities. LGBT that, uh, code. Who are you? talking about C three PO folks. <laughs> you don't need some prissy youngster <laughs> getting on the Chicom app and mincing about, traipsing into the room, telling you about uh, something that our old boys in blue did wasn't on the up and up. No, we can't be having that. No, I heartily support our government's uh, attempt, or really, it's it's necessary. Uh, it's necessary uh, obligation to protect the informational hygiene of this country. And let me tell you something: I'm so proud of my home state of Alabama. They have really led the charge. Um, did you know, Ronnie, that uh, if you are using an IP address? which is used by a government entity in the state of Alabama, that TikTok is blocked. (laughs) So that I actually, even if I wanted to, I would not be able to check TikTok if I was on the library Wi-Fi. So the government makes sure you can't uh, operate TikTok at the library. Uh, Yeah, that sounds about right. The government says... No TikTok at the library. Uh, But really, you can see why this is so... This is so important... You know, people are coming away from, you know, learning about the world and maybe getting, you know, some new information that they may not have had before. And it's altering their judgment of what's, you know, about uh, the powers that be and whether or not the things that are going on are good. And that's the last thing, Ronnie, that's the last thing you need if you're trying to sustain a global military hegemony. I mean, like you mentioned, you said the U.S. is on its way out and China's a rising star. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And part of making sure that the USA stays right on top until the whole thing burns up in a center of climate change is to make sure that young people can't share information about K-pop bands. And that means stopping TikTok once and for all. Well, you know who else wants to, to curtail TikTok? A certain guy on Twitter that I'm not allowed to say his name on the air that I uh, <laughs> because you are cut off that I uh, frequently uh, apropos of nothing uh, share violent fantasies about with you. Uh, he hates TikTok <laughs> because it's poisoning the youth of America into thinking that Joe Biden isn't great. Well, that's that. That's yes, and. Well, yes, I do. See, this is one. I think this is one of the great values of our discursive uh, mode that we conduct ourselves in during the Into the Thronderdome segments. We actually agree on everything, Ronnie. We agree on what TikTok is, what it does, and it's just that you know I actually love America, and you are uh, a hateful, shriveled, heartless person who just hates it when people work hard and uh, and prosper. 
No, so, no, you're getting um, it all wrong. I, I hate the guy that I'm not allowed to name on the air. And I'm, I'm, I, I support everything he opposes. So I, I believe in <laughs> vibes. I believe the economy sucks and I love TikTok. Well, this sounds like a kind of youngster I need to get to know better, so I will be following this gentleman and prioritizing all of his posts so that I can see them first. And Ronnie, you're not allowed because it's bad for your blood pressure. Um, in any case, uh, you there, listeners at home, surely by now you have discovered who was correct in the great TikTok battle. Um, I won't tell you, who, because, because I'm not a stinking red Chinese... I'm not going to use TikTok to tell you who's right and wrong. That's for you to decide. You know, for um, someone who's talking that, about the stinking red Chinese, uh, you know, I'm not the one whose nephew is is part of that cohort. <laughs> well, that's true. So maybe the call I is coming have, from uh, inside the house there, Daniel. I, I, I do have a nephew who is... Uh, who is, is part who Chinese. Is a, who is part TikTok. It was part TikTok. And, uh, well, let's just say... He's adorable. Sometimes you, ha- sometimes you have to throw the nephew out with the bathwater. I'm just saying. How dare you? Don't, I, don't, I would don't throw let, you out over him. Don't, uh, don't tell him that I said that. He is an adorable baby, and I love him. <laughs> But he, when he listens to this in twenty years, he'll be apoplectic. When he listens to the beloved classic podcast Thronderdome, which was unappreciated the only, in its time, the only found... the only records he has of his beloved uncle who passed away in <laughs> twenty twenty six. <laughs> uh, he passed away from super blood pressure when his head popped off of his neck like a cork. Uh, this is the only document he has of him. Um, <laughs> but anyway, on that rather macabre note, please don't tell my nephew what I said about uh, the Red Chinese. Um, use whatever social media services you want to. Um, I think TikTok is a really good one if you want to drive yourself into crazed paranoia about human trafficking and how you're, as a rich white woman, you are the preeminent victim of that. You can also um, learn. Uh, you so can please, also learn that Osama bin Laden was a cool guy. Osama bin Laden was a cool guy. You can learn a lot there. Uh, but uh, in any case, I think that's where we can wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us on this penultimate episode of the third season of Thronderdome. Next one, we wrap it up. That'll be the last recap. Of the Thrawn trilogy. The no doubt and we'll disappointing th- conclusion to The Last Command. We will find out what is the the actual conclusion to the universally acclaimed as the best Star Wars novel series. So much so we'll see how that, it- <laughs> that at my local Barnes and Noble there was a there was a uh, a a employee recommend uh, little thing underneath the uh, Copies of *Air of the Empire* saying this was a must-read, and you know what? A must. What read. employee said that? A guy named Tim. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> and we'll leave you with that, listeners. Think about it, won't you? And we'll catch you next time on Thronderdome. Good night.